1: Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got an exciting show lined up for you. And I know when we introduce the topic, some of you might be saying, well, we've been hearing about this for a year. Yes, you got it. We're talking about COVID 19, but we're talking especially about some new developments and emphasizing some things, well, that we're still finding are not getting enough emphasis as far as how people can keep well and stay well. Part of the inspiration for this show was something that just happened the other day, literally. On April 1, the Three Angels Broadcasting Network, commonly known as 3ABN, featured a group of physicians with a group called AMEN, the Adventist Medical Evangelism Network, and one of those individuals was Dr. Eric Walsh. He is joining us today to walk us on this journey, looking at this topic. Eric, it is really great to have you with us on today's show. Awesome to be with you today. Eric, you and I have had the privilege of meeting Rubbing Shoulders in a variety of contexts. Uh, folks know your name. Many people do. You're not only heading up uh, the medical director for urgent care services there with Hartford uh, Health in Connecticut, but you have done things really throughout the country and throughout the world. So uh, I know, in fact, I think the last time we ran into each other, we were both uh, speaking at a conference in the United Kingdom. But uh, here we are today, and we're well into this uh COVID pandemic, well over a year into it. Tell us from the urgent care perspective, some of the things that really have jumped out at you.
2: Well, I think it's um, two-sided. I think on one hand, I've seen some people get really, really sick really, really quickly from COVID. And that gave me respect for it. Because I think initially, even I was like, eh, what is this? Until I saw that first patient who you know came in and saw us, tested positive, and three or four days later was actually in the hospital and ultimately didn't even do very well. Um, so that's the one hand. I, I've learned to really respect this disease because it's not as predictable as it seems. Um, and then the second thing is I've also seen that there has also been, in some cases, a lot of fear and even panic around the disease that can, that can and should be mitigated. Um, and in the urgent care centers, you know, we're frontline. We never closed. We continue to see patients the whole entire time when other practices wouldn't see you. <laughs> you know, uh, hospitals were closing services. We kept seeing people. So I saw a very serious uh, impact this had on a, on us as providers, on the population, on families. Um, so uh, so it was, it's was it been a really tough year, honestly.
1: This is uh, such sobering stuff. And when I was listening to that uh, 3ABN interview that you folks did, and by the way, uh, for those of you tuning in, if you did not hear that interview, uh, you can listen to it archived at 3ABN.org. We're going to actually be sharing some footage, uh, with 3ABN's permission, Uh, some audio footage from that interview later in the show, speaking especially about vaccinations. I know you've got a lot of questions, and uh, a lot of live questions were coming into a live show that dealt with that, Eric, uh, Dr. Walsh, answering those questions along with others. But one of the things that came up, Eric, that we're not going to probably have a chance to play the footage from in this program, so it'd be worth us talking about it, is this whole idea of COVID for many people just being a very mild infection that really doesn't have to be a very big concern. Probably some of the more sobering things that were emphasized in that 3ABN interview, one of them was, well, I'll tell you, when Dr. Schwartz, the cardiologist, who's the head of AMEN, told that story about a peer of his, did did that impact you
2: like it did me? Absolutely, and I've seen this. I saw a patient just a couple weeks ago in her late 30s who one year after being you know, almost a year now after being diagnosed still has significant medical problems is seeing a cardiologist, a pulmonologist. She was a healthy person before that. Um, So the point that we were trying to make at that juncture in the show was just because you you survive this, which overwhelmingly like 99.5% of people are going to, there's another set of people who are going to survive it with some long-term consequences. Because people are saying, wait, I don't know the long-term consequences of the vaccine. Our response is, listen, you also don't know the long-term consequences of getting COVID. Um, and that's what we're, we're trying to figure out now.
1: So as you guys were discussing this in that previous interview, we really want to bring our American Indian and Alaska Native uh, listeners on board with this because uh, a lot of folks are not hearing this data about, well, the fact that some of these long-haul COVID symptoms can actually occur in people who were asymptomatic, and some of these complications actually are neuropsychiatric things, reading about people with psychosis, I mean, serious mental health disorders that they never had before. Are you actually seeing some of this on the front lines?
2: I've not seen any of the um, mental health um, component. What I've seen more is respiratory and cardiac and just seeing people who are, are, you know, not able to go jogging anymore and are, you know, on medications like uh, Dr. Schwartz said last night, like 50% of those, with like with the cardiomyopathy will recover, but there's about 25% that are right now, we still don't know what's going to happen. and may wind up needing heart transplants. So um, I've seen some of that stuff in our centers.
1: So the bottom line is, although, yes, many people have mild infection, maybe even asymptomatic infection, may not have long-term complications, there's this whole other group, significant numbers, literally millions of people worldwide, that uh, if they're not dying, they're having serious complications, pushing kind of this whole dialogue again about what can we do to keep well. As I mentioned, later in this uh, very edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living, we're going to be sharing with you information about vaccines, some of the latest information. But uh, Dr. Walsh, a lot of what you guys talked about in that program was pointing us to the AMEN website. First of all, tell us a little bit about AMEN and then what you guys have on that website that would be so valuable to my
2: listeners. Well, AMEN um, has some really good short videos that highlight natural remedies that can be used in general to improve your health. But the other thing that's on the website is if you test positive for COVID, there is a a step-by-step schedule that you can follow that is as specific as what time to wake up in the morning, what time to go to bed at night, when to use hydrotherapy, which is one of the videos we showed last night, and the importance of sleep as well in recovering. So uh, we have videos on all of those different types of things.
1: One of the things that you talked about was the importance of nutrition, and in Indian country, many of my listeners, they've told me as I've interacted with folks uh, at various tribal gatherings, various tribal events, have worked with uh, First Nation peoples in the clinical setting as a physician, they've talked with me about their heritage, and many of those tribes have a heritage that is really based very close to the land and, and very close to a lot of plant-based nutrition. Uh, the Three Sisters, something that many tribes talk about in different parts of the country, corn, beans, squash. You, Eric, in that uh, interview, you talked some about the power of certain nutrients and phytochemicals. Tell us a little bit about some of those high points and, and what the take-home lesson is for people.
2: Well, let me say, um, I, I also have a project that I'm working on called uh, the Slave Food Project. And we do what we do for African-Americans, literally we hope to as well do with those who are of the indigenous peoples of this country. And that is we are pointing people back beyond the standard American diet To before uh, our food culture was westernized and industrialized, Um, so in Africa people ate, um, you know, off out of the ground. They ate, you know, root foods and some amazing greens and beans and nuts and fruits. Now to be eating Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and Burger King is is just not uh, ideal. And I think the government here in the united states has even subsidized some of the foods that we eat and so it's very cheap to get some of these foods um that none of our peoples ate you know before you know 500 years ago so long story short what we do know is that when you go back to those foods that we ate before things like fruits especially like dark grapes dark berries are rich in a substance called resveratrol which studies have shown is enough to, to actually counteract viral infections well this is the time when you want stuff in your body that can counteract the viral infection um we know that quercetin which you can find in red apples and red onions and elderberry um quercetin opens up your cells in your body allows more zinc to come in and when, when the zinc levels in your cells go up and because you, you also have to eat zinc rich foods like spinach and stuff, when, it, when the zinc goes into your cells, the virus can't replicate in your cell like it would otherwise, which means you're going to get a milder infection if you get one. Vitamin D. We, we talked about vitamin D last night. I thought they were a little conservative. I know physicians who actually do take 10,000 international units a day who are African-American. So those of us who are darker skin, like my complexion, it is really important to probably take more vitamin D orally than those who are fairer skin and 20 minutes actually will give them a much higher amount of vitamin D, just the way you know melanin and the body works. Um, so vitamin D has been correlated to actually be um, protective in the sense that it, those with higher vitamin D levels, if they get infected, get it milder. Um, uh, or not at all, and if you are infected and you start taking vitamin D, there's some evidence now that it actually can help reverse what's going on.
1: I really appreciated uh, the points about vitamin D, and I know as a physician this is so important. We've been, many of us, talking about it for many years, but it's it's great to see this coming full circle here with uh, with COVID-19 and just really emphasizing it. And uh, for those of us who are doing primary care, I'm doing a limited amount of uh, telemedicine, primary care telemedicine, I'm seeing just huge numbers of people still. They haven't gotten this message. I remember talking with a fellow just this week. I'm looking at his lab work. He's got a low vitamin D level. Someone checked this six, eight months ago. I said, are you taking your vitamin D? And he said, well, no. Uh, He said, no one explained to me why I was supposed to be taking it. And so, it you know, it's one thing to say your level's low, but you feel fine and you take the pill. It doesn't make any difference. So you're not going to necessarily feel any differently with some of these preventive strategies, right?
2: Uh, not necessarily. What you will notice over time if you do these preventive strategies is when other people in your office come down with colds and flus, you won't. And I think that's the advantage that you're looking for.
1: So, Eric, one of the other things that I know has come up a lot in this dialogue has to do with just the whole issue of, really, how do we balance our personal health with the health of those around us? As an urgent care provider, how do you kind of weigh in on this whole dialogue?
2: I think each one of us does have a responsibility to help protect others, which is why we support masking and social distancing and, of course, all the other hand washing, et cetera. Also why I was vaccinated as soon as I could be, um, because I would hate to be the person who gave uh, COVID-19 to someone who it really made sick. Um, if it makes me sick, that's one thing. But to be the provider who actually transmits it to someone would be would bother me a whole lot, is the way I'll say it. That's the same reason I get the flu shot every year. So all of those things put together, I think we have to understand that the virus does spread. It is quite contagious. We've been wearing masks and social distancing and watched basically the elimination of the flu in this last flu season and RSV, uh, uh, respiratory syncytial virus. Yet COVID still spread. And that says a lot. That means it's pretty contagious. So uh, we want to protect others, especially our elders uh, and the vulnerable.
1: I think one of the other uh, key questions that has come out when people talk about a comprehensive lifestyle, and I know you touched on it in the uh, interview that was uh, recently aired, the live show, but uh, we won't have a chance to play that clip either in today's show. So I wanted to have you give us just an overview of this. One of the issues that came up was this whole dimension of stress and social connectedness and how that's all been impacted lately. Can you just walk us through that briefly?
2: Yeah, I wanted to actually comment on this last night on the show, but uh, there are too many of us, and I was like, oh, I'll just have to let somebody else do it. Stress is one of the key things that literally, is, I believe, is a big part of this pandemic. Um, and, and I say that because we know that when people are stressed out, they go into a, a fight-or-flight state, which means you begin to over-release cortisol. And when you over-release cortisol, your body becomes resistant to it, specifically your immune system does. So your immune system does not regulate inflammation the way it's supposed to, and you go into a hyperinflammatory state. So if you are stressed out, um, chronically stressed out, um, and carrying what we call um, an allostatic load, uh, meaning that you are just in a constant state of fight or flight, it impacts even your immune system, makes you more inflamed. That inflammation actually can cross the blood-brain barrier and impact anxiety, depression, and other mental health things. So this is, that's partly why COVID does have these uh, psychotic uh, or mental health components, because inflammation affects the brain as well. Um, I say all of that to say this. Uh, one of the things that's really important is you have to stay connected to people. You want to physically distance, but not socially distance. And I also would say that this is also a time when you should connect to your creator. You should have the spiritual component that allows you to be um, attached to something bigger than yourself, somewhere you can leave your stress and your problems um, in order for you to feel better.
1: Eric, tremendous stuff. We've got to step away. I'm hoping you can stay by for just uh, another segment. We're going to be sharing, like I said, footage from that uh, a very uh, inspiring 3ABN program. I've also got a new video out. We'll be sharing some uh, material from that that relates to the topic but, uh, Eric, can you stay by uh, for a little bit more later in the show? Sure. We're going to step away right now. We've got to take just a couple of minutes, but we're going to be coming back with this edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Stay tuned for more right after this.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this.
3: The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse.
4: For 13 and 1 and a half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused.
3: If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust, and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station.
5: I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General, at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska
1: Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We have been talking with Dr. Eric Walsh. We are actually going to step away from his dialogue in the virtual American Indian and Alaska Native Living Studio, and we're going to cut to another interview. I promised you some footage from a really inspiring live interview that was featured on the Three Angels Broadcasting Network on April 1st of 2021. You can listen to the whole interview At 3ABN.org, Three Angels Broadcasting Network, simply abbreviated 3ABN.org, April 1 was the live show that featured Dr. Walsh and several other physicians who are all part of the Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. And the segment that follows that will start in this next segment and then carry on into our following segment You will actually hear from Dr. Brian Schwartz. He is moderating a bit and adding insights into the dialogue. He is a cardiologist at Kettering Medical Center. You will then hear from Dr. John Shin. Dr. Shin is an oncologist, a cancer specialist, who is doing a fellowship in cancer immunology, especially working with the immune system at the National Institutes of Health. You will also hear from Dr. Walsh again, as he was part of that dialogue. You're also going to be hearing from Dr. Roger Schwelt. Dr. Schwelt is a leading voice in the area of COVID-19. He's an intensive care specialist. He is a lung specialist. Yes, he's even a sleep specialist. He's a teacher at Loma Linda University, and he is someone who has a large following on the Internet when it comes to COVID-19. He is one of the featured speakers for a series of presentations that Dr. Walsh alluded to that can be found on the AMEN website. If you want to get those uh, free materials, he was talking about a program, what do you do if you get exposed to COVID-19, go to amensda.org. That's amensda.org. That's where you want to go. You will find a section on COVID, and you can tap into that material. So, Amen. The Adventist Medical Evangelism Network and 3ABN, the Three Angels Broadcasting Network, work together to bring you what's going to come up next, a selection of some of the footage from a recent live show. Take a listen.
4: We're getting a lot of questions in from Mm -hmm. our audience, and almost all of them relate to the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so let's just shift gears a little bit. Um, I'm going to direct the first question to uh, Dr. John Shen and then to Dr. Eric Walsh. And I'm going to lump a couple of these together because they're generally asking some of the same things. But let me just set the background. Currently in the United States, we have three vaccines um, that are um, currently authorized under an emergency authorization by the FDA. So... Well, just keep that in mind. In Britain, there's an AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. It's also available in other countries, and particularly in Canada. It might be the only vaccine available right now in Canada. There's a Russian vaccine. There's a Chinese vaccine. There's a lot of other vaccines out there. The FDA is right now looking at a possible fourth vaccine. Um, A lot of the questions are asking, well, these vaccines are new, and uh, how do they work? And uh, so let me just give a couple of... uh, examples of, of vaccines. So Pat asks, which vaccine is the best? Another listener says, can you explain how the COVID vaccine works? And, and there's different ones. And uh, Dr. Uh, Shin, you are at the NIH. You've uh, you're really researching kind of messenger RNA uh, type of things. Can you tell us a little bit, particularly about the, the messenger RNA vaccines, um, the Pfizer and the Moderna, and then a little overview of the other vaccines, as to how the vaccines actually work.
6: So, typically, the way vaccines have worked in the past is you take a bit of the infectious material, whether it's a virus or something, and then you expose your body to it, uh, and not the not the complete virus, so you don't get the infection, but either a virus that's been weakened or killed, or a piece of it, so your, your immune system can recognize it when it comes in contact with it again. So. This has been through a process where you purify this piece of infectious material and then you put it in these vaccines. And that takes a long time and it's an expensive process. And that's what made vaccine development historically take such a long time. Mm -hmm. The revolutionary thing about the mRNA vaccines is that now instead of collecting a lot of viral particles, growing viruses and and then harvesting their particles and then purifying them and putting them in a vaccine... We are now able to make our own human cells manufacture these viral particles. And that's the part that has some people spooked because they think, what is it doing? Is this genetic modification or what yes, is it? Yeah. So in order to answer that question, you have to understand how DNA and RNA work. So DNA is the code book of life. Mm-hmm. And I like to use the analogy of uh, a cookbook. So in your kitchen, if you're going to make something, you have a cookbook that holds all the recipes you'll ever need to make any dish you'll want to eat. Mm-hmm. And then you can think of RNA as making a Xerox copy, if you will, of one recipe, what, what you're going to eat that night. And then so you keep your cookbook safe. You make a copy of one of the recipes. That's the RNA. And then you use it to cook your meal. And once you've made your product, you throw that sheet away and it goes away. And if tomorrow you want to make a different dish, then you go into your cookbook, The DNA. You find the appropriate recipe, you make another copy, you take the copy into the kitchen where it can get dirty, you look at it, you make your meal, and then it goes away. So that's exactly how DNA and RNA work. DNA doesn't change. It has to code to make everything you need in life. And then the RNA is a copy of a small segment of your DNA that's used to produce a particular thing that your body needs, your cell needs. And so the way that these vaccines work is they deliver RNA, it's called messenger RNA, that's why there's a little M in front of it. Mm. And it teaches your cells how to make this spike protein that's found on the surface of this coronavirus so that temporarily some of your body's cells make this spike protein. And then the end result is the exact same as a traditional vaccine. Your immune system looks at the spore and spike protein and then it remembers it so that in the future, if you have a real infection, it's more well-equipped to fight it off. So the key takeaway home points is that the end result is the same. You're introducing your body to a, a small piece of the virus, so you can't get the actual infection because it's a limited piece. Another important thing to recognize is that this does not alter your DNA. It's a temporary piece of RNA that makes temporary copies of the spike protein mm. and then goes away.
7: Thank you very much. So what I understand, this is not something that's changing your DNA, according to the way you explained it. So then what we have is that these vaccines are stimulating, can I use that word, stimulating your immune system
6: to fight the virus. Is that correct? That is right. It's kind of giving it memory. Mm -hmm. So you're more well prepared to fight something you've seen before.
7: Thank you very much. Now, I do have this question since I'm one of those people that had the coronavirus or the COVID-19. Yeah. So my body, is what I understand, produce antibodies to fight the disease. Mm-hmm. Does a person that had the COVID-19, are they benefited by having a vaccine or you already have protection? Let's direct that to Dr. Walsh. And
2: I saw Dr. Shin was starting to comment. I'll jump in after him. Go okay, ahead, Dr. Shin. Okay. I think
6: that's a great question as well, and Dr. Walsh can speak more to this, but basically the answer is if you've had the disease, then yes, you have a level of immunity to it. The issue is that there's a spectrum of how people's immune systems react. You have the person who's asymptomatic, and then you have the person who ends up in the ICU. And so the two people had very different reactions in terms of their immune system, and we're seeing some evidence that if you had a mild infection, your immune memory may not be as robust as someone who ended up in the hospital. So it's hard to pin down exactly how long and how robust your immunity is and how long it lasts. But what we are seeing is with the mRNA vaccines, it seems to trigger a more robust response than the actual infection. And so one of the advantages of the vaccine is that it can give you a greater stimulation of your immune system, if you will than the average person who gets an infection, especially if it's a mild one. And we are seeing cases of people who've had COVID-19 get reinfected as early as three months down the road. And so this is the reason why they recommend that even people who've had the natural infection consider getting the vaccine after 90 days. So Dr. Walsh, uh, if you wanna speak more to that.
2: I would say that that's very well said. The only thing I would add is these spike proteins are critical in the process of infecting you. They actually attach to our ACE2 receptors, which is important because this is why we think on some level it is worse for people with certain chronic illnesses. Being able to stop the spike proteins from attaching to the receptors by having antibodies to those spike proteins is probably the purest form of, of an immunity that you could have because you can prevent the virus from ever lodging. So you want a really robust response to the spike proteins. And those who've had the virus will have some of that, but they also would respond to some other parts of the virus probably particularly like the uh, nucleocapsid uh, proteins that we check antibodies for. So the, the, the vaccine, this is why, as Dr. Shin was saying, it probably has a longer effect in terms of giving you immunity because you're, you're becoming specifically immune uh, to the part of the virus that actually plugs into you and sets up shop. It's like the tires of the virus. And what your body is learning to do is how to pop those tires. So the virus can't go anywhere in your system.
1: We have to step away just briefly from that interview from the Three Angels Broadcasting Network. But we'll be coming back with more footage, more audio footage from that presentation. As well, we'll be hearing from Dr. Walsh again, speaking to just us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living Radio. And then I've also got some audio footage from a video that I've recently released dealing with COVID vaccinations. You don't want to miss that all coming up right after this.
3: The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse.
4: The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, mums and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children.
3: If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Heard-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit healthychildren.org.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose for the
1: second half of today's edition of the broadcast. We have been listening to some great footage from a program first presented on April one. 2021 on the Three Angels Broadcasting Network. If you want to listen to that whole recording that was done of a live show, you can go to 3ABN.org and select simply that April 1 live show. We're continuing now with some of that dialogue, and then I'll be sharing some of my own material that I think you'll find especially interesting. Right now, as we go back to that 3ABN segment, Dr. Brian Schwartz is speaking. He's a cardiologist with Kettering Medical Center in Ohio.
4: As a Seventh day Adventist and having grown up Seventh day Adventist, I kind of have grown up with this idea that medicines are bad and I don't want to take any that I don't have to. <laughs> so we have several Seventh day Adventists writing in that, yes. you know, I've been living the health message. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a bit in good health. I don't get the flu. I'm doing all these things. Should I still get the vaccine? And so we have maybe a natural suspicion built in about, oh, this is an unnatural substance. Should I take this? So Dr. Shin, what would you say to uh, those of us as 7th Adventists that are worried about taking some foreign substance into our body?
6: And so this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart because I know for a fact that I myself want to minimize the medications I'm on. I think the best state to be in is no medications, and none of us would argue with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of the things, though, that I realized is that No matter how good you take care of yourself, no matter how well you follow the health message, no matter how well you live your life with squeaky clean living, Mm -hmm. you can still become sick because we're living with fallen DNA that's Mm -hmm. degraded over thousands Mm -hmm. of years Mm -hmm. due to no fault of your own, but because it was passed down through generations. And you can see people are born with genetic issues that they never chose to have and no amount of lifestyle modification would make them go away. Mm -hmm. So some people have inborn errors of their mm. genetic material that make their immune systems weaker and make them maybe more susceptible to getting virus. So one of the most important things to realize is that everything we're talking about boosting natural immunity will help everyone across the board, but it is not 100% guarantee that you will too, not get the virus. So I'd liken it to wearing a seatbelt. You know, no one expects to get into a car accident. You drive the best you can but you still put on a seatbelt just in case something happens despite your best efforts. And I would say that it is not a lack of faith in God to protect you Mm -hmm. if you wear a seatbelt in the car. And in the same way, Mm -hmm. if you practice healthy lifestyle habits and still get the vaccine, it's like the seatbelt. It's not a lack of faith in God. It's saying in case I still get the virus, even if despite my best efforts, this will help to Reduce the chances of getting a severe disease.
4: Uh, this is a question from Laura in Illinois and Betty, who's in Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, several of them are saying one of them's son has uh, multiple sclerosis. She's mm-hmm. wondering if uh, the, yes. the vaccine would be safe. Another one has autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, another one's talking about osteoarthritis and degenerative back disease. And another one from Maryland. And she's 73. She has bronchiectasis and factor V Leiden. She's trying to do everything she can to be safe. She's not quite sure she trusts the vaccine. But if you look at these various things, is there any one of these that would make you hesitate about getting the vaccine? Dr. Schwelt, can you address that? And are these people at particularly high risk?
1: Yeah, I think they are at high risk. But not for the vaccine. Uh, They are at high risk for Mm COVID-19. And uh, that's how I see it as a pulmonary and critical care physician. You know, I've, I've seen families literally destroyed because of this virus. We had patients coming into the hospital. We were trying to reach their loved ones. And we were having a hard time reaching them. Why? Because they were in our emergency room already. Uh, Usually, this thing hits uh, whole families at the same time. And Mm -hmm. just those cases that you were talking to me about multiple sclerosis, autoimmune conditions Mm -hmm. these are people who have uh, increased risk of blood clots. Mm -hmm. These are exactly the type of people that I would see in the intensive care unit struggling Mm -hmm. to stay alive after they've been infected with COVID 19. We Mm -hmm. haven't seen the kind of
7: adverse reactions. Uh, that we've seen with COVID-19 in these uh, types of patients with uh, post-vaccination. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, we're talking about the vaccines. Maybe, uh, Dr. Shin, uh, this is a question for you. Um, we're talking about people getting – if people decide to get the vaccine, let's let's say that if people decide to get the vaccine, uh, how long are they protected mm-hmm. after having the vaccine? And
6: this is – the million dollar question how long are you actually protected and the, and then the short answer is nobody knows mm-hmm. we we just don't know we actually don't even know how long you're protected if you had covid-19 as i was mentioning earlier mm-hmm. but as i said earlier it seems that if you get the vaccine it stimulates your your immune system to have a more robust stronger response so we would anticipate that the protection conferred by the vaccine would be longer on average than say a moderate to mild uh, natural infection but we'll find out. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, Thank you very much.
2: Jump, there are I a lot of in questions.
6: In
7: can I, oh, yeah, Dr. Can Walsh. I jump in on that answer real yes, quick? Yes, please.
2: So I did read something just today from Pfizer saying that since their first people they vaccinated was about six months ago, mm-hmm. that they found that six months later, they still have very good mm-hmm. immune response and immunity wow. to the virus and to variants. And um, no, also, there's something that just came out today. So Dr. Shen is right. We don't mm-hmm. know long term, but at the six month mark, it looks like these mRNA vaccines are still working.
1: I hope you enjoyed that segment from the Three Angels Broadcasting Network. Again, a special thanks to that network. If you want to catch that whole program that first aired on April 1st of 2021, go to 3abn.org. Now I want to share some other material with you. It's actually from a video that I just recently released. It's something that I did. I originally recorded it a couple of months uh, prior to this show, only recently released. In this presentation, the segment that I'll be sharing with you, I'm speaking about some of the misinformation that was going on about the mRNA vaccines, the vaccine from Moderna and from Pfizer. It's still circulating, the same misinformation. I think it's important to uh, dispel some of those errors. You've heard some of these concepts already, but hopefully this will bring it even more to the point and address some things that have not yet been discussed on today's show. The first two vaccines that were released, those by Moderna and by Pfizer, the so-called mRNA or messenger RNA vaccines, have uh, generated a lot of concern, a lot of discussion. And I want to give you some simple pointers on just where things stand and a lot of the misinformation that's being shared out there. Let me focus on three simple points. The first one is uh, looking at a variety of sources, including... Uh, parties that have a vested interest in this that you know one of their main kind of reasons for existing seems to be you know concerns about the the rights of the unborn uh, these messenger RNA vaccines have no fetal parts in them there was nothing in the design or manufacture of these vaccines that had anything to do with uh, uh, fetal tissue okay so uh, I've seen that in a couple of very good uh, sources so i'm very comfortable that we're not having to be worried about that concern now some of you say well i wasn't concerned about that anyway well then let's talk about some of the other things that people are concerned about a second one second concern that people have is it going to alter my dna it is true this is using uh related compounds to dna messenger rna uh ribonucleic acid, very similar to the deoxyribonucleic uh, acid, the DNA, but very different, actually, in the way it's handled in the cell very differently. So this messenger RNA does not go into the nucleus, uh, the part of the cell where your DNA is stored. So there is no plausible way that this messenger RNA should change your DNA. So a number of individuals have looked at this. I've heard a number of experts address it in the medical community no scenario that anyone knows of where this is going to affect your DNA. So I don't think that's a reasonable concern at this point either. The third concern, and this is a huge one for many people, and that is that there are some kind of micro-tracking devices, nanobots or other things that are going to be used to track you if you get one of these messenger RNA vaccines. And here's the simple truth about it. Let me just make it very, very simple. First of all, Uh, From all the ingredient lists and all those who've looked at the vaccine, no nanobots in there. Yes, there are nanoparticles, tiny particles, that are the way that the messenger RNA is being introduced into the bloodstream to protect it from the immune system so it can get into the cells. So there are these microscopic, you know, micro-microscopic, Particles, but they don't have tracking devices. Now, let me make this as plain as possible because folks say, oh, well, they just didn't tell you that it's in the, they're not going to put it in the ingredient list. Let me make this as plain as possible. And, and this will, will, will remove this question from, because I've heard this with other vaccines too. And let me just tell you when it's, it's total nonsense, when you can know it is total nonsense. And here it is when you have what we call multi dose vials, multi dose vials. What this means is many of these vaccines are produced in such a way that a vial will have more than one dose of the vaccine. Maybe in a little bottle, there's 10 doses. You immediately know there's no tracking device. You say, why? Think about it. If there's 10 doses or 50 doses or whatever, however many doses in a vial, how is the nurse going to know which tracking device to pull out of that multi-dose vial? There's no way. okay? You, you can't do it. You say, oh, well, they threw a 10-dose vial. They threw 10 micro-tracking devices. Well, what prevents the first time the nurse draws it up or the doctor or the medical assistant, or whoever's giving the shot, the pharmacist, what prevents them from pulling up 10 nanobots and putting them into the first person? So they have all 10. The point is, It just does not work. It's not logical. It's not practical. It's impossible that anyone can dose nanoparticles, give you specific nanoparticles from a multi-dose vial. So that should end the discussion right there. Uh, Great confidence that I have in the data I've seen. You do not need to worry about anything tracking you as a result of these vaccines. So I've tried to address the three most common objections that people are raising, okay? Now, I'm only talking about two vaccines. There is no the COVID-19 vaccine, which most people ask me, Dr. DeRose, what do you think about the COVID-19 vaccine? There is no the vaccine. There's multiple vaccines. I've just told you about the first two that were released in the United States, the Moderna vaccine and the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine, okay? So, what about the big question? Should I get the vaccine or not? And at this point, I'll tell you, Looking at the data on the vaccines and uh, looking at the ravages of the virus. And some people say, Hey, you know, I don't know of anyone who's, you know, gotten very sick from this. It's always just, I know personally of people that have died, people very close to me that have died. Okay. So this is not just a bunch of hype and it's because of the virus in the cases that I know about. No question about it. Okay. So this virus is killing people. And if you're in a high-risk group, right now, my reading of the literature, pretty clear, the risks of the vaccines, and there's always, don't let anyone tell you there's no risk to a vaccine. There's Anytime you give an injection, there's some risk, okay? The risks of the vaccine in high-risk people right now, from my looking at the literature, are small compared to the potential benefits. So I'm recommending. In fact, just had a couple of people that I know well in their 80s that called me and asked me what they should do. And I, should, and I told them just what I'm telling you right now. I've told my parents who are in that high-risk age range, get the vaccine. The risks of the vaccine seem to be quite small in high-risk groups, quite small in relation to the benefits of the vaccine. We have to step away from that audio of a recent video I released because we have to just get in a couple of important messages. We're going to be coming back with Dr. Eric Walsh, some things he recorded specifically for our broadcast, as well as some more material from a recent video that I've put out. You don't want to miss it as we wind up the subject of COVID-19. Stay tuned.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this.
3: The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse.
4: If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they shall often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions, they just take the orders. I got help so can you.
3: If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org.
6: So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned.
2: Like what? Who?
6: Some of your friends, teachers. Sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends? So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal. But taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana.
4: Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care
3: about you and and want to know what's going on.
6: That's right. We
3: just want to understand
6: better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age the physical and mental health effects, the poor decision-making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk?
1: For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of
0: alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinkingsamsagovernor you You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Back with me in our virtual studio is Dr. Eric Walsh. Dr. Walsh, you're from African-American roots, individuals in your community, as well as in other communities of color, I hear a lot of dialogue about concern for the vaccination. After all, it's being promoted by the government is the reasoning. The government, uh, well, has been uh, uh, less than exemplary historically in dealing with Native Americans and other people of color. Please help us sort through this as it relates to the vaccine.
2: Well, I'll say that there is historical reasons why people have some doubt in um, trusting the government and even the medical establishment. Uh, initially in this pandemic, one of the things I thought was interesting was the, uh, on the internet and in social media, people were saying Black people can't get this disease. That was circling around. And I don't know who circulated it, uh, but it was very popular. It took the actor Idris Alba, the famous British Black actor, to come down with it and say, listen, actually, we can get it. And I think that's when it began to resonate. But even then, there was a lot of pushback. It's interesting to go from that to watch African Americans and in some parts of the country indigenous populations also have higher rates of infection and higher death rates uh, higher complication rates in covid um, and then to see now the weirdest of all ironies is now that there's a vaccine that might protect them to believe that somehow the vaccine is a problem because here's what I, I didn't get to say this on the show i i, I would my biggest fear is that African Americans would have suffered all this time, not want to go and get the vaccine. And when this pandemic is almost over, the virus is still wreaking havoc in Black, African-American and other minority populations across the United States and not receiving the kind of media attention it's getting now.
1: One of the things that's been encouraging to me, I was just speaking with someone who's uh, very close to a lot of tribal leaders, uh, some of the big Native organizations, National Congress of American Indians and others. And uh, he was telling me he's not hearing a lot of the dialogue about skepticism in Native American circles as far as the vaccine. But this is a real thing. And the point is, I appreciate your leadership, Eric, your expertise and your example to really not only the African-American community, but to people of color in general. Really, I think you're making a, a pretty eloquent appeal that this is something that you as a physician have seen value in, and it's something that we should be embracing regardless of where we stand demographically. Having said that, any final words of wisdom? There's a lot of folks still struggling with whether they should get the vaccine or not, all kinds of different reasons. Anything that you'd like to share that maybe has been helpful as you've talked with folks?
2: One of the things I say to people is at this point, we're at uh, 550,000 deaths from the coronavirus with 30-something uh, million infections. We're over 50 million people vaccinated in this country, and you can't find deaths from the vaccination. Like, uh, the few that they say on the CDC, most of those, you, you can't really even draw a straight line to the vaccine. I say all of that to say that the vaccine is far safer than getting coronavirus itself. And that is almost one of the most uh, important things to remember, and that all of the people who've gotten this around the world, we're not seeing complications like people suspected. Dr. Shin said this last night, most vaccines, if you're going to have problems, it's within the first two months. We now have six months of data from Pfizer that shows it's still safe and effective, even against the variants six months later.
1: Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for carving time out of your busy schedule to join us on today's edition of the show. Continued success in your work. Appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you. Same to you. I want to conclude today's show with some footage that I recorded several months ago when I, well, walked out into my van after it had been sitting out in an ice storm in northern Indiana. Here's some of that footage. came out in a video just recently that I was doing on vaccinations, but I think this analogy will connect with some of you. Okay, we got things opened up here. Wow, you still got some of that ice and snow on the windshield. What this all has to do with vaccinations is the car provides really a great setting to make some very important points. Well, first of all, if I'm getting ready to leave, you got it. I'm going to put this uh, seatbelt on. I've been around for a while, but those who were in public health before me said a lot of what's being discussed in the vaccination debates today Reminds them of some of the discussions in the public health community about these things. There were folks when legislation was being discussed about requiring people to wear seatbelts. Folks were saying, "Hey, who is the government to tell me that I should wear a seatbelt? If I don't want to wear a seatbelt, why should I wear it?" It's possible some of you still feel the same way. But let me tell you the interesting thing: I don't put a seatbelt on every time I get in the car because there's a law to do it. I put a seatbelt on. To protect myself. And I encourage my passengers, my family members to do the same because I love them and I care about them. My first point in this vehicle is simple. Make the decision based on vaccinations, not based on whether someone's requiring you to do it, but is it in your best interest to get the vaccination? What I'm suggesting when it comes to the mRNA vaccines that we've been talking about, the research suggests that for high-risk people, just like wearing a seatbelt, We're all high risk when we get behind the wheel of the car. When it comes to COVID-19, we may not be all at high risk, but if you are, getting the vaccine seems like a really good idea. But let me take the illustration one step further. Back to this interesting uh, scenario with the ice storm that we're dealing with, and also with my windshield. I'm not going to clear that windshield off because the government said, I can't drive if I don't have an unobscured windshield. I'm not clearing it off because I'm afraid I'm going to be penalized if I'm caught driving with ice covering my windshield. I'm going to clear it off because that's the safest way to drive. And so when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccination, I encourage you individually, forget about what anyone's telling you to do. Forget about whether an airline says you can't board a plane without the vaccination. hasn't happened yet, but that day may be coming. Forget about whether it's tied to some kind of stimulus check or not. Ask simply the question, what's best for me and for others around me? We'll get there in a minute. And that brings me back to our seatbelts. I'm ready to give you an illustration with this seatbelt on of driving. Cause some people say, well, why can't I just do what I want? Leave the seatbelt off. Okay, so the seatbelt's off, okay, coming off. And if I get hurt, it's my own fault, it's on me. And no one else is bearing the brunt of my problems. So I'm driving along, okay? Somebody pulls out in front of me. Young man with a couple of children in the car. He's distracted. Pulls right in front of me. I'm going 55 on a rural highway. Pulls right in front of me. I try to evade him, but I can't. There's a crash. I'm hitting the brakes. Next thing you know, I'm flying through the windshield. Severe head injury. I'm dead. In the middle of the street, just beyond this fellow's driveway. Blood all over the street. His two kids see it. He sees it. Yeah, it's my own fault. I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. But, you know, he was the one that caused the accident. He pulled out right in front of me. How is he going to feel? How are his kids going to feel? Here's the point. Even when we think something is just affecting us, other people are affected by decisions that we make that can cut our own lives short. Well, we're stepping away from that video back in the American Indian and Alaska Native living studio. And whether that analogy connected with you or not, The point is very important, at least in my mind. There are other people around you. If you end up being exposed because of their harboring COVID-19 and you succumb because you were not vaccinated, they may well feel very guilty that they were the one that contributed to your demise. Of course, the issue is a lot deeper than that. You heard the panelists on 3ABN, if you heard the entire interview, They made it very clear, one of the arguments that I know has likely been misused in many circles, but I think it still bears speaking about, and that is, as health professionals, we've seen this in real life. If I'm sick, if I have an asymptomatic infection, whether it's influenza, whether it's COVID-19, I can pass it to other people. And although I've been emphasizing the risks in high-risk individuals of not getting a COVID-19 vaccine, I think there's definitely a dialogue worth entering into about individuals who are at significantly lower risk, because even low-risk individuals can pose a risk to others around them. But there's risk to healthy people, people that are low-risk as well. The data continues to come out, and again, I'm not saying that people haven't misused some of this, but I saw a recent report with as many as one in five individuals who have COVID infection, even if it's asymptomatic, end up with long-term complications. How long those complications last, we don't know. Sure, we've all heard about people losing their sense of smell for a number of months, perhaps longer as things play out. Maybe not. But we've also been seeing things in the medical literature about serious mental health effects, about heart effects, lung effects, even in relatively healthy individuals. The point is simply this look at this material broadly try not to be impacted by the peer group that you're around the political persuasion that you subscribe to look objectively look at some of this data think about risk for yourself risk for those around you if you were to contract the virus risks to them of you not being vaccinated as you look at those things make the decision based on what is best for you and those around you at least that's my recommendation for now I'm Dr. David DeRose, the show American Indian and Alaska Native Living. That's all for today. As always, wishing you the very best of health.
3: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.